Welcome back to The Blueprint. Here I am, SJ, and I'm with JB. Back again, back again. What are we saying, SJ? How are you doing? Listen, JB, let's cut straight to the chase this time, yeah? I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Where do you see the limit of your potential? In other words, what I'm implicitly asking you here is, how big are your dreams? Let me just get out my dictionary and look up the word limit. Okay. Oh, is that right? That's how we're rolling today. Oh, shit. What I'm trying to get across, right, is that if you start to put limitations on yourself, you're closing the door for opportunity. Because not only are you putting a cap on what you may well achieve, you're also closing the door on opportunities. For example, putting yourself in a box. I am X, I am Y. And it's something that I've seen a lot, which is people have very strong affinity to whatever job they may be in. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But as soon as you start saying things like, I am a consultant, I am an office worker, I am a banker, I am a fireman, I am a teacher, whatever it may be, you immediately and very subconsciously close yourself off to other opportunities by defining yourself in a box, essentially. I hear that. When you form your personal identity too close to your occupation, correct? then it becomes difficult to see yourself as anything beyond that. And you basically invisibly place limitations upon yourself. Absolutely. And create these limiting beliefs. And that's why it's a very fundamental belief of mine that you should... As corny as it sounds, you should be you. And you should say, I'm going to be the best version of myself and not place any limitations on what that may or may not be. I guess a deeper question then is, how do you figure out who you really are and what you're really about? Because most of us go through life kind of blinded, Mm. just day by day, stage by stage. I'm in school, I'm in secondary school, then you're in college, university, and then you got a job. So at no point do a lot of people sort of sit back and think, well, what am I all about? What am I trying to achieve? It's hard, right? And life kind of hits you hard at that point. I've seen it happen. I mean, frankly, it's happened to myself, happened to a lot of people I know that they come out of university and they're almost like a headless chicken because their whole life up until then, people are on your back about doing this and that and doing this internship and working hard and jumping through these hoops and these grades. And once you finally get out of the education system and you're in a job, you're like, okay, what now? I'm, I'm on my own two feet. I have to make a path for myself. Is necessarily the job I landed in, is that where I want to be forever? No, but you see plenty of people get stuck in the industry because mm-hmm. it's a self-reinforcing cycle, right? I've spent 10 years here, so what's another 10 years going to do? I have 10 years of experience in this one role. Uh, it becomes increasingly harder and harder to break out of that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's a, it's a very common piece of advice that people get given is to really try a lot of things when you're younger. And this will very much help you hone down on who you want to become both by finding things you like and that you don't like. You know what, to add to that as well, I think just whether it's every month, every week, or even every year, taking a small piece of time out to detox from what you do day to day, give yourself a break, and then to actually ask yourself bigger picture questions. Mm. Like, where am I going in a year? Where am I going in five years? What have I done well this year? How does it complement what I want to do? What do I want to do? Kind of sitting back and thinking, where is this all essentially leading to? I'll tell you one way that I've done this. Every year on my birthday, I write a letter to my future self. So since the age of 19, every single year I've written a letter which is addressed to some future version of myself. Uh, whether I'm going to be 35, mm. 45 or 85, I have that 
to address the person I'm speaking to in the future and, and giving them an update of where I am at this snapshot in time. And that for me is a very reflective process. I always look back on the year. I think of the major things that affected me that year. What actually happened to me? How did it impact me? What have I done well? What could I do better? You know, and I'm brutally honest in those letters. You know, some of them are not, you know, if I wasn't exactly up to standard in a certain area of my life, I don't really hold back. As you know, the mm. kind of relationship that we Absolutely. have, we're very brutally honest with one another. We prefer it like that. Um, you should really be brutally honest with yourself as well. It's ultimately, most, most, right. person you can never really fool is yourself. Absolutely. Well, while having a long-term vision is important, right? It's, it's also not this one-size-fits-all thing. And I found personally, uh, I'm a pretty avid gym goer. I've been into fitness for the better part of a decade now. And what I found is you don't have to look at the 5,000 mile journey. You just have to look at the next step in front of you, right? And you make and you understand the improvements you can make in your life. And you just take these little steps day by day. You look back, as you said, Suraj, a year later, and you realize you walked a mile. But you, do, you were just taking it day by day. You were making these little incremental changes towards the person that you wanted to become. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time, we'll look up at the mountain, we'll be like, oh, fuck, there's so far to go. Oh, yeah. Where do I even start? This is going to completely break me even attempting it. Cut it down into bite-sized chunks and work out and actually sit down and internalize and figure out what are the actionable steps I need to take yeah. to get to this destination. Absolutely. And before you know it, five, ten years pass and you think, wow. You're going to be unrecognizable. Oh, absolutely. And you're at the top of the mountain. You're thinking, holy shit, mm. I'm here. But then you look over your shoulder and you see the next mountain. <laughs> but speaking, As we said, we don't, we don't have limits here, right? So there is no top of the mountain. you got to keep climbing that thing. 100% as David Goggins said, you know, I could get to the top of that motherfucking mountain, but then that shit just slips right under me after I'm there. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, we don't put limits on our potential. And we've got a guest coming on today, Claude, who also doesn't put limits on his potential. He's a big dreamer and he's an equally hard worker. Looking forward to it. Peace. There's the man himself. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, back. I'm James. Pleasure hey. to you. Nice to meet you, James. Nice to meet you. Where you at right now? Uh, I'm just at a friend's house. Nice. Stealing yeah. your Wi-Fi. <laughs> basically <laughs> how's things been man it's been a long time you've been real busy off late oh my gosh i've been ridiculously busy but yeah no things are good man things are good really really busy these days like up to like multiple, multiple projects uh yeah. but things are all moving in the right direction so definitely cannot complain at all right now oh brilliant that's what we like to hear so what what's what's keeping you busy what are you working on i know the last time we spoke i mean when was the last time we spoke to be honest but it's been months. It's been months. Uh, what's keeping me busy? So I don't know if I said this to you before. I, I think I did. Like I was beginning to build up more of a board career to add more stability uh, to my income stream. Mm. So that's gone pretty well. Um, we could say uh, I now have a number of board roles. It's been in, it's been in a decent amount of money from doing that. Yeah. Um, not quite where I want it to be yet. But what that will eventually mean when I get to like a little bit more up on the income stream from that side yeah. is I can afford to leave the part-time um, consultancy job that I'm doing. Uh-huh. Uh, and then with that, I can then focus more of my time and energy in my business. Um, or even if, I, even if I don't leave the consultancy, what that then can mean is that I can afford to use some of that additional income to to hire people hire people to help more of the company side of things as well so yeah so that's going well um i mean there's a lot there's a lot to break down there claude can you maybe expand on what your business is what you're doing in the consultancy space at the moment and perhaps if you want to divulge what kind of board seats you're taking 
Yeah, no, sure. Okay, so my business, this is the, I believe it's a SIP uh, company I set up at this point. Um, I created this one in 2013, uh, and it's a company called Dream Nation. The When I launched it, if I'm 100% real with you, I didn't really think of it as uh, like a grand business idea to pursue. Um, it was really coming more from a desire and a passion to help people. So Dream Nation is a personal development brand, um, and I realized that at the time, and even still to this day, there's a lot of things in the personal development space which is just ineffective. Yeah. Really great in motivation, really great at hyping people up, but it's not creating meaningful change in people's lives. So I basically created a brand to do something different. So we started off with doing quite large-scale events. We did that for a number of years, then COVID hit, and that really derailed that side of the business. Um, so then we started to look into other areas, and that led to uh, coaching and online programs as of now. Nice. So we've been doing, doing that for a little while. Um, the ultimate goal is that I do want to launch a number of different applications um, that will help in different areas of your personal growth. Uh, so I've spent the last, I guess, 12 years, 12, 13 years now, like oh. doing heavy research into different areas of personal development from finances to physical health to mental health to productivity etc that's uh, actually i want to ask that um, in, terms, in terms of self-development like mm-hmm. what areas did you initially start focusing on and then how have you how have you branched out with that and in very straight up way what areas do you find that people tend to want slash need the most help i imagine everyone's different what whatever stage in life they're at right but in your experience from helping people 12, 13 years of doing this, what area do you find that when you help someone in that area, it's most effective to their, to their wider life? My thoughts on what's the most effective way to change, help somebody change is actually, it's interesting. And I say that because what people think they want and what is normally the most effective for them are two different things. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing, I'm, I'm a very data-driven person. Um, so we actually have the stats on the things that people come to me on in terms of like where they want change. Yeah. So there's a really clear pattern. And for the most part, <clears throat> it tends to be around how can I increase my income okay. is what people will be saying. Um, however, my I guess the unique insight that I'm building my company with is you can't, comp- can't, you can't compartmentalize yourself. Like humans are not, we're not spreadsheets. We're not like, we're not, they wouldn't, you can't just say, okay, your income is this, your physical health is that, your mental health is this, and then treat those things differently. Yeah. Um, to me, they are extremely all interconnected because um, how much money you make is going to is going to impact how often you can hit the gym, how often you hit the gym is going to impact how often you sleep and eat, how well you sleep and eat is going to impact your mindset, your mindset is going to impact your productivity, your productivity is going to impact your relationships, really. It's all connected. So, and so what, I, um, what I'm trying to do with the way that I coach people and eventually the applications I want to build is to take an extremely holistic view of a human being yeah. and okay how are these things connected and how can we help raise your raise raise your the quality of your life across the board so that ultimately become the person you want to be and how do you actually do that would you say kind of you have a deep data set of prior clients that you then kind of refer to and then kind of try and identify patterns in that for any new clients you may on board so there's a number of elements to it so yes definitely the deep data set of past clients is extremely valuable um that's part of it the other side is that the reality is, is that there's been so much research already been done. 
like as much as I do my own research, like I also don't try to reinvent the wheel. Like some of the problems that people have, the answers are already there. But I guess another unique insight I had when I started to build this company was the research was there. It's in books, it's in research papers, etc. Cool. The issue is most people don't have the time or capacity to read those research papers or books. All right, that's cool. So we'll do that for you. But then the thing is, those that actually do make the time to read and read those um, papers or books, they realize that they don't have the time to implement it into their lives because they're busy doing whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. So part part of um, I guess the unique insight between I get that that I use to run my company is I say you guys don't need to understand the science behind it. We will do all the hard work of figuring that out. Yeah. All we're going to do is when you work with us, we'll help you focus on implementing it. And that's that. Mm-hmm. So whether that's through, like I say, one-to-one coaching, whether that's through um, the, once again, the future the applications that I'm building or some of the other programs that kind of combine a lot of different elements together and go from uh-huh. there. So, so you, you basically, in many ways, you protect them from that information overload. Because that's something I've experienced a lot when trying to improve different aspects of my life. Sort of reading a lot, realize, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And then as you've taken on so much information that you almost get overwhelmed with it and think, oh, you just you push it away. You're like, okay, I, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, this is too much. I'm just going to revert back to my, my habitual patterns. And you go back. Basically, yeah, I, basically that. But then there's also the coaching side of it also considers how human people are. Yeah. So yeah, like breaking habits or new habits is difficult and or just life is difficult. And sometimes you literally just need somebody that can do all the thinking for you in a certain area or help you to figure some stuff out for yourself and then help you stay accountable to actually moving forward with the goals that you lay down for yourself. Yeah. So I guess my company, at least in the way that I'm trying to build it, is almost like a, a mixture of where the data and the science meets like the human approach. Yeah, just to build on Suraj's point as well, I think it's very easy to read as well. It's very easy to consume knowledge, but to actually, as you said, hold yourself accountable and put these plans into action is 10, 20 times harder. So do you have some kind of methodology by which you hold your clients accountable? Um, I do. And I will, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not, it's not extremely complicated. Um, as I've said, a lot of the stuff that I do is not reinventing the will. Like, yeah. Sometimes you literally just need somebody to be there for you. And it's that simple. So having when you have when we have our check-ins, just doing a review of what have you been able to accomplish, what haven't you been able to accomplish, and then exploring why didn't why didn't you do it or why did you do it? Uh-huh. Because a lot of what I try to do with people is that I'm not trying to build dependency on me. Um it's gonna be very much so helping people to learn how to lead and master themselves. Yeah. And by having somebody turn around and really begin to understand their own thought process and behavior, mm-hmm. that's what will lead to long-term change. And also, how do you how do you know once a client has actually reached that point? How do you know when it's like, okay, you're on your own now, go fly. You don't need our help anymore. I let the client make that decision. I mean, uh-huh. let the client make that decision. And the reality is that we are always, we always have really clear goals in terms of what we're working towards with a client. So it's not like therapy in that regard where therapy can can be like an infinite exploration. Um, we will always have, this is what we're working towards in this moment. And yeah, once that's accomplished, it's then goes like a very natural point for the client to decide, okay, thank you. I've achieved what I wanted to, or you know what, we've done that, but there's not another level that we want to do. And that's what okay. we're starting at. So actually kind of in your introductory session with them, you kind of sit down and you create very clearly defined goals with them. 
Um, normally, it's more than in Star Street that, like, if you set goals in the right way, then it, yeah. that can be an interesting process. And that takes normally two to three sessions with somebody before we even have really clear goals on what they want to do. Uh-huh. Nice. Claude, have you found that with the aftermath of COVID, there's an increase of people that are looking for, for this service? Because I was reading on uh, Google search trends the other week that I think from 2020 to 2021 or 2021 to 2022, one of those years, there's been a 60% increase in people, like year on year increase of people searching uh, online learning. And it's something that I think I've seen just in general, I think it's quite a trend. A lot of people are taking their own education, their own income and their own work into their own hands these days, as you mentioned, like yourself, even trying to get more passive income streams. People realize that, look, the internet is here. And there's a lot of ways that you can make money and you can really take that into your own hands. And I mean, one of the fundamental tenets of why we're doing this podcast is to bring people information of how you can get a passive income or that, that general thing of being able to take things into your own hands, take your own learning into your own hands. It was, yeah, I thought it was interesting to see that Google uh, search trend. But have you found that your business, you have an uptake of clients in the last year or two? I'm going to say there's definitely a shift in mindset with people. Um, and I feel like what happened was lockdowns, um, follow, et cetera, really just all people, unfortunately being made redundant. Um, I think that really caused a really large number of people to stop and reflect about life and realize that there's so much more that we can be doing because the reality is this, is that for most of us, we're on survival mode all the time. We don't have the, we don't have the headspace or time to stop and really reflect and think about how things are going and where do I want them to go? But I really feel during the like during that time period where we were all forced to slow down, a lot of self-reflection happened and a lot of people, yeah, decided that they want more for their lives or that they can write investments, which is going to be investments in themselves, then they can be in a completely different place in a couple of years. So yes, I, I've definitely seen a significantly higher level of interest in this I'd imagine you probably all know about the concepts of painkillers and vitamins um, when it comes to business. And what I mean by that is we're always taught, like, build a company which is a painkiller to somebody rather than a vitamin because we all know we should take vitamins, but we don't really do it. Um, whereas when you're in pain, then you will find you will find painkillers. Like So yeah. therefore, if your company is a painkiller, then you'll do, you'll do much better. I'm going to say previously before COVID, in many people's eyes, the work that I do would have been seen as a vitamin. Um, but then I'll say now, like a lot of people are now seeing that. No, there is a there is a pain that they were ignoring before. Yeah. And the work that do is the solution to that pain. So kind of like uh, before it was a nice to have. Now it's a must mm-hmm. have. Now people are like, we, you, we need this in our lives. Yeah. And I think as well, what I've also been doing a better job of is demonstrating the potential impact. Yeah. So... So to give you a bit more insight into me, um, the, I'm about to spin out a part of my company, Dream Nation, into a, into a smaller sub-brand. That sub-brand is going to be called BoardPass, and it's going to be focused on helping people secure their first board roles, for example. So people have been able to see like my progress in terms of like gaining these board roles and the changes that's made to my income stream, et cetera. Yeah. So now that you see that, okay, this is this investing in this part of your life can actually have a significant impact on your career. Now it's like, I want to do it. And I think I'm doing a much better job of like showing the success stories of people that I've worked with and what's happened as a result of working with me. So yeah, like I've 
part of it is a change of their mindset, but also part of it is um, also changing the way that I market my business. Too. Nice. Let me ask you a question about the board roles, actually. If you have a typical nine to six job, can you realistically become a board member? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners here, probably one of the first time for a lot of them hearing about actually becoming a board member. And I'm sure a lot of them work nine to six jobs. So is, is it possible and is it realistic time-wise to be a board member while having a full-time job? It really depends. So I will say this, for most people, when you start the career of going down to become a board member, you're probably going to need to do it in the, uh, in the voluntary capacity, probably for a charity uh-huh. and for, or probably for a school. And because of the nature of those two organizations, those types of organizations, they understand that most people have nine to six jobs. So therefore the meetings and things of that nature will normally be in hours that will be fine. So when it comes to the point where you'll be looking to get roles that actually pay you to be a board member, um, that means you'll be a little bit further along in your career. And as a result, you've been a little bit further along, you probably have more control over your time. Mm. So then at that point when you're, so it's almost like the two things converge where when you have more control over your time, you then also are going to have the experience and the, that will be necessary to allow you to begin to get paid to do it. So if you have some flexibility in your job, then yes, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just that, but also the thing about board roles is, and it's different from every organization, but the demand on your time is not as high in terms of your, your the, during the day. So for example, it, it's not uncommon to find a board where you might only have six days a year where you need to come into it and attend the meeting. So then if you are still at the stage in your career where you can't you can't take time away from the actual office in that regard, then yeah. use your annual leave. Six days of annual leave done, um, then you have a whole, but you have a whole other income stream as a result. Yeah. So it depends on the board. It depends on your personal circumstances and things of that nature. If we just run a back row, can you just kind of explain the basics of what is expected of you on a board and maybe even what a board is for some of our listeners, uh, just so they get a kind of holistic view of what you're actually doing. Okay. So let's start with what a board is. So a lot of organizations, um, normally ones of a certain size uh, or ones that have a lot of responsibility, they will need to have what we call a governance structure. Um, And what a governance structure is there to essentially do is to make sure that the executives, so the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, et cetera, um, the leadership of that organization are doing what they're supposed to do. We can look at that in, let's say, in the public sector, so like a hospital, for example, or a set of trusts. Like you need to make sure that the public money, which has been given to these organizations, which is going to be in the millions, um, is being spent well. Um, we also need to make sure that the patients for that hospital are getting the service that they need um, so that they're being looked after well and things of that nature. The board's job is to make sure that the executives are doing their job properly. And part of that means that you're there to hold them accountable. Um, part of that means that you're there to help uh, challenge them. Some of it means that you're there to assist them and, and support them. It's not necessarily... On TV, it can be self-presented as an antagonistic relationship, but it's not and doesn't have to be. Yes, sometimes you do need to challenge the board, the executives, but most of the time it's collaboration to get the best results. Um, what does a day-to-day look like as a board member? So what will tend to be is that you'll be receiving things such as board papers, which will be a pack of um, documents and reports that tell you what's happened in the organisation what is, uh, what's the performance like right now? What are the strategies? What are the things that we're looking to do moving forward? 
you'd be expected to review those papers, um, do, do your own research to make sure that you understand it. So if there are terms and there are ideas that you don't know about, do that. Um, and then in a board meeting, uh, which will probably happen pendant like maybe once a month or once every four, every once a quarter, somewhere between that sort of frequency, mm-hmm. um, sit down and yeah, have basically have a conversation uh, with the board, um, whether that's the other board members and the executives. Um, when it comes to really important and big decisions, you're, you'd be helping to decide what we want to do. So let's say you're making a decision that's going to take, it's going to split cost X million pounds to be involved in, then you probably will need the board to decide whether we want to do that. Whereas smaller decisions, which might be a couple hundred thousand pounds, like you can leave that to the executives to make that decision on, on themselves. What else would you be doing? So if you're good at your job, then what you'd also want to be doing is connecting with the connecting with um, other key members of the team um, outside of board meetings. So having one-to-one meetings with the chief executives or the chief finance or technology officers, et cetera, like making sure that you understand kind of what's happening on their level of their job. Um, but then also giving your insight um, if you have that in any different expertise or areas. Uh, and even it's not always just about the top level leadership if you're really good at your job you also want to make sure that you're down the ground level so yeah they want to gain that you work at a hospital like going in and seeing for yourself like how are patients being treated or how is the staff being treated how what's the morale like at the company etc because one thing to have somebody give you a report for a bunch of numbers in it but it's a totally different thing for you to see with your own eyes like what's really happening yeah. Um, and then lastly, it's your job to stay informed, like know what's happening in the world around you, what are, what's happening politically, what's happening financially, et cetera, and think about how is that going to impact the organization that you're responsible for. It sounds like the kind of thing that you'd get a lot of experience and insight into how an organization works from the top to the bottom and whatever part of it, as you said, you can go in during the day, see how it runs day to day. Then you have the reports and the packs that detail like the future plans, how implementation of strategies and different things organizations put into place have gone. Is that useful for the running of an early stage business? I know this is kind of an unrelated question because it doesn't necessarily have to be useful, but what kind of business would you say it's most useful for if you're going to go then work or start your own business? Is being a board member helpful in that journey? Okay, and now my bro, you have just hit on the key insight as to one of the reasons why I do what I do. Okay. So yes, it is um yes, it's part of my career, it's an income stream. Yes, it get means that I do get to have an impact on the world around me in a positive way. But this has multiplied my business acumen on a level which you okay. cannot pay for. Um okay. my, my, man, my man Claude is playing chess, not checkers. <laughs> ahead of the game. Always, bro. Always. <laughs> yeah. I've received an education from doing this, which is far more valuable than the MBA ever is going to be. So I'll give you an insight, right? The top level consultants in the world that literally are being paid thousands of pounds, like those are the people that we hire to come and help us make decisions. And they will come in, deliver a personalized seminar workshop on a specific yeah. issue for us. And it's like, I don't, this is not a theory. I'm not reading this as the case study in a book. It's like, yeah, yeah. this is what I'm doing right now. 100%. And even the executives that I work with, like the, the chief financial officer, et cetera, like you'll sit down with them and like, these people are brilliant. They are so good at their job. And I have 
I won't say infinite access because if I take up too much of their time, then I'm stopping them from doing their job. Of course, but every conversation I have with them, I'm learning something new. Yeah, like I'm learning how. Yeah, I was about to say something I shouldn't say in the court. <laughs> 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 um, I am learning so much from, honestly, in my opinion, the greatest minds. Um, and like I say, it's not a case study. This is real life. Like I'm learning this yeah. in real time. I like, I like one thing you said, and you draw the comparison to those top level consultants, because I worked in, I did an internship in a consultancy a few years ago, and that was really the vibe I got. Like, yeah, they create these fancy packs. Yeah, you get these lovely diagrams and slides and stuff. But then when I look around, I think you're a career consultant. You never implemented something in your life. You never actually had hands on deck and had something like you never had skin in the game of actually bringing to life a project and being it's easy to go to a company and say you need to implement this practice you need to remove these people but like that removing those people from the work that that requires an emotional investment into that action right and if you you can just say that maybe i'll do this and then your top line is going to go up by x percent um and i'll tell you one thing as well I'll not mention the firm because I might get in trouble, but I have a friend who works in one of the big four consultancy firms. And then I said to him, bro, do you really like what you do? Because yeah, I like what, what I do, but let me tell you something. It's all bullshit. Yeah. He's like, it's all bullshit, man. We just, we come up with a bunch of bullshit and we sell it to them of a good relationship and they lap it up because we have the reputation and we have all this data and it looks nice. I'm not saying all the work they do is bullshit because that would be very narrow-minded and quite generalizing, right? Obviously, consultancy firms bring value, but I completely agree with what you said. Like, how can you trust someone that's never done it themselves? Yeah, I will say, like, at least in the context of my board roles, the my interaction with consultancy firms has been very positive. And I think that's largely because they are, we bring them in for very specific issues, right? essentially. And then when they get brought in, they are bringing so much insight um, once again, I, I can't, I wish I could give you more details on what it is that I'm saying, but like the, all the stuff is confidential. Of course, yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is this is like, I've learned about some of the most complex things that you can do within an organization inside a business years ahead of when I, I would have done otherwise. Yeah. And like the other, the other side from it, cause you mentioned about this not being as useful to a small business owner. And I'm going to say, yeah, it's true. This is not the most useful stuff for me to be learning right now in the startup stage of a company. Yeah. But I I intend on taking a, pub, a company public one day. Like, I want to be CEO of a public trading company. And I'm already at the point where I'm learning the lessons that I need to learn as best as a CEO. Exactly. To be a good like, operator, right? Just to be a good operator. Like, it's literally that. And I'm like, I'm seeing it on a at this point daily basis for me um as well as being around like this level of ceos or call it, call it your caliber of people because i think what a lot of people don't understand is that you don't just wake up one day and be, be able to be good at being a ceo for probably <laughs> that's, that's not happen. yeah it's a very interesting point you raise because you typically see it with kind of big tech companies as well right you have your visionary who starts a company grows it scales it and then maybe get, maybe goes public shareholders bring in a new CEO or maybe gets bought by a private equity house and they just bring in yeah. like the most kind of bland operator who's just an absolute efficient machine at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you're showing that initiative to think kind of five, 10, 20 years ahead as in I need to change from the visionary that I am today into the operator of tomorrow, right? 
which I think you don't see, we don't see in a lot of young founders. We don't see that kind of forward thinking. Yeah. You're partly right in what you just said, because yeah. you said I need to change from being the visionary to being the operator. But oh. the way I see it, like, yeah. no, I am going to, I'm just acquiring both set of skills. Absolutely. So now, now I can both be a visionary and be an amazing operator. Um, yeah. so, and when you have someone that can do both, that's a dangerous person. And that's what I'm trying to be. Uh-huh. That's cool. <laughs> get, get the FBI on this man. He's dangerous. He's dangerous. <laughs> didn't, didn't you say you had a part-time uh, job as a consultant? Yes. Before um, Sarai before started berating you. <laughs> Wait, before, before we I go off that. Char- character assassination. <laughs> to, be, to be honest. Uh, you're gonna, I hope yeah, you're going to take a, your personal. I'm going to get cast bro. Calm down. But now I had a point to make. Do you remember that talk we experienced on Nef Club? It's touched actually what on you, you were saying, James. There, there was a guy that came in and he was talking about the different stages of a business. And he kind of put it into a metaphor of initially you're leading a tribe of people. Then you're leading a village. Then you're leading a city at the different stages of a business. When you first have those five to 10 people, they all really believe in the, in the, in the cause and the mission statement of what you're trying to achieve. Then you take it and it's like a, a, a like a small group of 20 to 50 people. And you got to be, it's a different skill set required at every stage. Do you remember that talk? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just that just reminded me of that when you said that, James. And that's literally that's literally it. Um, I definitely I knew from a very long time I did not have this the skill set for the end of the game. Um, yeah. it, that stuff is unnatural to me. I'm not yeah. I'm not organized in the way that I think and stuff like that. I am I'm a like I am naturally a creative person, and that comes with all the pros and the cons of being a creative. Well, I mean, it's quite typical of an early stage founder, right? Of an entrepreneur, yeah. To be kind yeah. of having, having their mind on a million things at once, because you have to be right when you yeah. start. You have to think about fifty different things at any one time and be able to handle a lot of kind of different problems. And then, obviously, when your company grows, you bring people you trust on board. You start to delegate a lot more. So I think it's only natural. And I think it's, no, I, I'm really impressed. And I think it's fantastic that you're already thinking about the skills that you can build up. Because how big is your company at the moment? How many people? Uh, not big. We are definitely at the startup stage. Definitely. We've gone, I've gone up to, at one point, there were 20 people involved. Yeah. Um, and I was not prepared for that. And that's when things essentially imploded the first time yeah. around. <laughs> so yeah, like, and I think because I, and I think this is a lesson about entrepreneurship that I really wish people would take is that you're going to fail over and over and over and over again. Yes. But when you fail, you're just learning. Um, mm. And I think it was the experience of realizing how unprepared I was for this later stages of business that kind of has changed my mindset towards things. Yeah. Um, and I started over again from back down to zero and gone. And But this time around, I thought, what do I need to succeed? And that's why I have two, that's why there are two things I'm doing differently. On one hand, it's like I said, I want to have my personal income be secure. Um, so then therefore, I do not need the business to make or make money in any any given week, month, etc. So it means a company can grow at its own pace. Yeah. And the second mm-hmm. time, I realized that I need to acquire the skills to be, a, be able to lead a company when it grows to a certain size. So I'm just pursuing both those problems that happened the first time around. So then when I get there again, I'll be to, I'll be ready, basically. So, so Claude, if you had to focus on something, one thing for the next year of your company's life, what would it be? The next year of my company's life, um, I would say it's a mission that I've been on, which is funny enough, it's not focusing on my company, it's focusing on me. Um, okay. It's like 
make sure that I, Claude Williams, am good enough and have the things that I need to be able to to be able to succeed in this business. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the mission I've been on for I would say the last year or so. And I'll say in by the end of this year, I would have completed that. Yeah. And then once I've got that, then it's like I can put my business in a place where it can have all the breathing room that it needs to succeed. Yeah. So I remember I remember when I had to because I used to pay my team every two weeks. I remember the stress of like not knowing where I'm going to get this money from every single two weeks just to pay payroll uh-huh. and like things like that. And I also had to try and pay myself and pay my own bills and do this and do all of that. And I remember like, you can't, you don't have the headspace or the creativity to be able to do your job well as a founder. You just can't because you're, you have just one problem that you're constantly trying to solve, um, which yeah. is money. So, but now, when the next time I come to that situation, it's like, well, if I can't, if I can't make payroll, then because the company hasn't made enough in this month or this last couple of weeks, like, I can put the money myself at this point. Or even, even better, like I said, I don't need the company to pay me. Like that's a whole problem that's just been answered and no longer an issue. And what about Claude outside of work? I mean, I imagine you don't really have much time to yourself. But kind of all these different roles, full-time job, your business all these board roles, what do you get up to in your free time? Or do you literally have none? I don't have a lot of free time. Um, that is, uh, <laughs> that is the, that's, I guess that's the current sacrifice that I'm making. Um, yeah. I do have a lot of autonomy in terms of I get to choose where I spend my time, which is great. But um, as of right now, there's a lot um, and probably too many things that I'm involved in and I'm doing. However, I guess my mentality towards it is this is just for this season of my life, one. And two, kind of as as I begin to get a clearer picture of what is working and what isn't working, I can begin to cut down on the things that are, I guess, not serving me and put more into the things that are and then take it from there. To start to optimize, yeah. It's a great mentality. Yeah. So what we do is we have this sort of a quick fire question round on the podcast where okay. we ask you these questions. You got to answer it as fast as possible. Um, um, not like on your face, this is uh, looks like it's gonna be problematic. But <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 none of that, none of that. Okay, here we go. What's the first word that comes to mind when I say success? Happiness, yeah, happiness, happiness, and freedom. Those are the first two words that come to mind when you say yeah. success. It's poetic. What's the first word that comes to mind when I say excitement? Uh, I have to think of my apps to be honest with you. The apps I want to build, like that, is very much so. To be honest, everything that I'm doing is in service of being able to build this technology that I've got in mind. Um, so, yeah, like I get excited about the day that I can release them and seeing the impact it's going to have on the world. Uh-huh. And how about passion? Perseverance. Um, I think that might not be the first word that most people think of, but I realize, yeah, what is passion about perseverance? It's easy to like care about something in the moment when it's easy. Mm-hmm. But what, what really matters to me is like, what do you do when it's hard? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Impressive. And how about what would be the title of your autobiography? Oh, um, dreams that don't die. Dreams Love don't it. Die. You worked on that, didn't you? You practiced that. One. <laughs> 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 that's, that's, that's too good to be a freestyle off the dome. <laughs> Best place in the world you travel to? Oh, that is a tough question. I can give you my top three. I can't do top one. That's too hard. Go, go on, go on, go on. I love uh, Madrid. It's a, such a beautiful, chilled out city. Like, I just feel right at home there. Um, Jamaica is the most beautiful place on the planet. There is no argument or, or anything. And I'll have no one else say anything about that. 
Um, and I've also loved Ghana as well. It's just Ghana. such a, okay. yeah, such a chilled place with beautiful people. So yeah, those are my top three. Nice one. Well, that's awesome. And also, how about one sentence of advice for first-time founders? Talk to your customers. Um, so the consultancy job that I do, um, actually, I run a business accelerator for a university. And the biggest mistake I see founders make all the time is that they have such this barrier between them and their customers. Um, however, the ones that spend the most time talking to their customers, getting to know their problems and their needs, um, they ultimately build the best products and services and as a result, build the best businesses. So literally talk to your customers, pick up a phone, go see them in person, whatever it is. Fantastic. Nice. Claude, there's one thing I was thinking about just while we took a little break there. What was the motivation for starting Dream Nation? Because you said it didn't come from a place initially of wanting to start this grand business and have this big thing, but it, it just came from wanting to, to help people. Like, what was the thought process for you? Because that was like, what, 12 years ago, you yeah, said? 2013. Yeah, it was a while ago. So I'll give you, I'll walk you through the story of how we got here. Um, so at the time, I'd, I was at university. I had set up, um, I was already running what was then my second business at the time. Okay. Uh, which was a media company, a third business, sorry, media company. We're doing like website design and videography and photography and all those sort of things um, for uh, doing all those sort of things for um, the quite that medium-sized businesses. Not large, I'll say medium-sized businesses. Uh, we also opened up a studio in um, the town that was living in at the time as well. Um, and it was doing everything still all right, winning a few awards, spending some money, all that sort of stuff. But I was so unfulfilled with the work I was doing. Um, I remember waking up in the mornings and just not being, I didn't want to go to my own office and like interact with my own team, my own staff. And I, that just kept on happening over and over again. And I was done for weeks. And I realized that this is really silly. Like I've built the life that I wanted for myself. Like I built this company, like I've accomplished, like I was 22, 22, 23 at the time. It was like, I've accomplished all of this. Like, but it was just so empty. Um, And I kind of reflected back on what really got me into business in the first place. And the first thing that I had done, the first company I started was um, a sports business that did uh, like uh, basketball tournaments, essentially. I did just because I wanted something to do that was interesting to me. And older sis had given me a biography, which had just come out at the time. I remember reading his biography and thinking, oh, that's amazing. I didn't even know what entrepreneur was at the time. I was like, this is amazing. Um, his lifestyle is awesome, all of that. And But I realized the thing that mattered to me, it wasn't the fact that he was a billionaire or that he had bought an island or all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But there was a story in, the, in that book that spoke about the impact he was able to have. Mm-hmm. The civil war that was taking place somewhere in the Middle East. I can't, the details are a bit fuzzy now. Um, yeah. But it was a that he had all these all these resources, like his own airline, all of that, which allowed him to go and actually make a difference in a place that really needed help. Um, but so, the government... So, Claude, you actually cut out when you mentioned the name of the person whose biography you're talking about. Oh, Richard Branson. Richard, Richard Branson. Branson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then the book is called Lisa My Virginity. And basically, to cut a long story short, like what stood out to me was like how how having money and network and resources allows you to make a difference in, in places where you otherwise might not be able to when you just don't have that. Um, 
-hmm. And that's what got me started in business. So now fast forward a few more years to me struggling to get out of bed. It's probably like a type of like mild depression that I was like suffering from at the time. Yeah. Um, I kind of like went back to my roots and thought, why did I start this? And it wasn't about the money, the awards, accolades or the prestige. Yeah. It was about what to make a difference in, in the world around me. So I agreed with my business partner at the time that I was going to take a little bit of a sabbatical. So I took about four to six months off. Uh-huh. Um, in that time, I just really focused on finding myself. So reading a load of books um, and just trying to answer some questions about what really matters to me in life. During that same time period, I was asked to give a, a TEDx talk. So, wow, that's so, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I say, the, when you have, like, the business was doing well, so I had a pretty good reputation as a result of yeah. it. It's awesome. Um, what was the, what was the name of the talk? It, the title was Why I Make Friends with Strangers. Um, wow. It's still, still up on YouTube. It's got a pretty decent view count, actually, so you can go check that out if you want. You can see a... Yeah, we'll put the link a, in our description, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, see a young, young and naive version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I gave that talk, which was cool. Um, but the reason I brought that up is because the experience I thought could be better. I realized like, okay, um, there's something, there's something here. This whole TEDx concept is awesome, but I feel like it can be improved on. Yeah. So I read that and put that at the back of my mind. And then as I was mentioning, I was reading a load of books and I read the books of um of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And that's, that's a good biography, Malcolm X. I've read that as well. I really enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah. Both fantastic. And what that really left me with after reading both their books was um just this feeling of they used their skills and abilities, et cetera, to make a better world for all of us, um, or, and even very specifically people like myself. And yeah. I was like, I, that's the type of legacy that I want to leave one day, is that I used the gifts, abilities that I have and left the world a better place for people. Um, and I realized as well that later on, and also there's another book I read, I'm not going to promote the book because like, as I've done more research into it, I don't, like I don't agree with a lot of what is taught in there but the one thing that I do appreciate from it is that it left me with one idea called um uh, practical dreaming um and when I came across that idea like it just had such a huge impact on me I was like this literally explains my philosophy of life in a single sentence the reason I told you those three stories is because how Dream Nation started was a combination of those three things coming together right um I realized 2013 was going to be the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's speech called I Have a Dream uh-huh. um, on, the, on the 28th of August. And I decided to myself, you know what? I want to create an event that, that celebrates that. So that was the first step. The second step was then I said, okay, I know TEDx can be improved on. Um, let me, rather than complaining about it and saying something about it, let me actually create a bit of original TEDx. Nice. So, I then thought, let me create an event on the day to celebrate Martin Luther King's speech. Um, and it will be a TEDx style event, but with the improvements that I thought it needed. And then the last element was, I felt like it needed, one of the improvements I thought it could do was have like a really clear theme that all the speakers spoke on. Um, and that theme for me was Practical Dreaming. Um, and then that was the launch of Dream Nation. Uh, we did the event, uh, it sold out in six days um, from nothing. So that was, that was a good sign. Um, and I also live streamed it because there was like such a demand for tickets in the end. I did the event. It was cool. Um, but I didn't really think much of it. I thought it was just going to be like a one-off thing. I just had yeah. to get out of my system and then go back to my life as normal. Um, 
But then what happened after that is I kept bumping into people who had either attended the event or who had watched it online. Um, and uh, this was going on for like months. And I think by the time like it had been like six months after the event had taken place, and I think there's now the 12th or 13th person yeah. that had said to me, you know what, Claude, I either attended this event or I watched this event and it had such this big impact on my life. And I've gone on to do X, Y, and Z since then. Wow. And that, that's when it dawned on me that I need to, I don't know how it's going to work, but I need to find a way to turn this into something bigger. Mm. So I spoke to my business partner at the time. I told him, you know what, I've got this really big passion for something that I wanted to do. We agreed to go our separate ways. Um, and he, we closed down that company, went our separate ways. Still on really good terms. He's actually, he's still, I'm the godfather to his children. Um, and he himself now, he's killed it. He set up a, a business called Black Ballads. Forbes 30, not under 30, all of that. Like, he's killing it, so happy for him too. And then, yeah, I just decided to try and figure out how I can turn this dream nation idea into something worthwhile. And that's the journey that I'm still on today. That's awesome. And it also speaks volumes that when you love something, you find a way to make it work. That when you're truly passionate about what you do, even as you said at the beginning, it was like, okay, we've had these events, people have enjoyed it, but you love, you love, that was clearly, because to me, I've known you now nearly three years, right? And everything mm-hmm. you mentioned about Dream Nation encapsulates your personality as well. Because you always, mm-hmm. guide, every time we've spoken, it's been very much like positivity, growth, leveling up, constantly on a journey and being honest with yourself as well. Because we've had chats, right? Both to openly talk about our mental health, where we mm-hmm. were at and kind of the, the process of growth. And yeah. you taking that, productizing it and giving it to people to help them grow in their own journeys. It feels like it's a part of you that you're giving to others. Exactly how you said about MLK, Malcolm X, taking the skills and attributes that they had and using it to better all those around them. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, man, that's awesome. That's really awesome because uh, I haven't heard talk about it like this uh, in a while, probably have in the early days, but um I think, yeah, the wider point being that when you love something and when you wake up passionate about something, you will find a way to make to make that work for you. Yeah, it's like a yeah, it's it's like a marriage ultimately. Like you have to keep on waking up and deciding to choose the other person at the end of the day. Um like yeah, just keep doing your best to try and figure out how to make that work. And then the minute that you decide that you stop having, I guess, a bias towards the positive traits of that person or this idea is the minute that everything falls apart. You've been on a long journey, Claude, and obviously you've got a long way to go still. Is there a point where you think, I've made it? Like, wow, I've made it. Obviously, you mentioned earlier you would love for your company to go public. Would an IPO be that kind of moment where you're like, wow, this is the big leaks? Or would you having a little bit of insight into your mindset, you probably want to push it further and drive it away. Absolutely. Right. So do you, in the position you are right now, do you think there will be a point where you're like, I'm happy, like I've made it, or is it really that constant progressing, learning, evolving? I think an IPA would be the start of the journey. If I'm honest with you, I would say the, um, the size of the vision that I have, I don't believe it can be accomplished in my lifetime. So my goal is to, just lay the foundations for this company to be able to last for as long as it can and have the biggest possible impact. So yeah, there is no endpoint that I can that I foresee that I will see. Essentially, it's just about laying the foundations for whoever's going to take it on after me. Essentially, really like that. And maybe a little bit of a more personal question with regards to the business: Is there kind of two examples you can think of? Maybe one where you have prevailed through skill, and one where you have prevailed through luck. And which out of kind of skill and luck do you think is more important for a founder? 
I'm going to tackle, rather than give examples, because well, I'm doing this still while I think of an example, but I'm going to tackle the question mm-hmm. first in terms of matters more. I'm going to say they matter equally. And I say that because, like, skill is, like, I don't want to under, underrate this. Skill is kind of the thing that will allow you to navigate difficult situations. However, like, there is, I don't want anyone to ever be deceived about this. Like, luck probably makes up at least 75% of success of everybody that we see around us. Um, and the thing is, however, that I'm a big believer that you can create your own luck to an extent. Yeah. Um, I've realized that the more people that you meet, the more people that you interact with, the more people that you have an impact on, is the luckier you seem to be. Yeah. Um, as well as the harder that you work, the luckier you seem to be. And I think, I remember a friend said this to me years ago, but it always stuck with me. And it was, um, what was it? He said that success is when uh, opportunity meets preparation. And the opportunity side, uh, that's the luck element of it. And preparation is the skill side of it. Uh-huh. So there's no, I think they go hand in hand. You need both to be successful. Um, actually, no, that's not true. You need, to be honest, you need luck to be successful because there are many people who are successful who got there luckily. But I'm going to say to maintain success, you need skill. Great so answer, they, yeah. They're both needed. And is obviously you kind of come into contact with a lot of people on a daily basis, um, a lot of kind of different problems, a lot of different psyches. Is there maybe something that perhaps a predisposition that you had previously that someone has helped you change your mind on or kind of something that's been shown to you in a new light recently? You know what? I'm going to say no. But the reason I'm saying no is because I tend to come to everything with a ridiculously open mind in the first place. Yeah. So I rarely, I try not to hold on to any preconceptions. And I've tr- I'm always trying to disprove myself. So the result of that is like, yeah, like I'm just, I'm open to people, their ideas, their experiences, their insights. And I, I'm a big believer that you can learn from anyone and anything at any moment in time. Slightly yeah. modify the question then. Can you think of an occasion where you successfully disproved yourself? What did you feel before? And then what did you disprove? Uh, I wish I had a more positive example, um, but this I'm going to go with the one that came to mind. Okay. Is you can't do anything to help someone who's committed to, I guess, self-sabotage. Someone who is committed to not wanting to, to succeed, to someone who has given up all of those things, like there's nothing you can do. I, you, can, you can try and meet, say, for example, their physical needs, et cetera, but unless someone has decided for themselves that they want to try and make something work, then there's only so much you can do. Um, and if you try to do so, then there's a very good chance that you will hurt yourself in the process. I used to, uh, the belief that I had pre- previous to that is like, no, like you can just keep on giving and giving and giving and eventually some, like it can help to change somebody's mentality, et cetera, all of those things. And that can be true in some situations. Like I'm not saying to just give up on people. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want that to be misunderstood. But what I'm saying is that ultimately people need to make decisions for themselves yeah. and you can't be their hero. Like yeah. it's, your job is not to be a hero. We all need to be the hero of our own stories. Yeah. Um, anything outside of that will, I'm going to say 9.8 times out of 10 result in something unhealthy or toxic. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Cause you, it's like when somebody, yeah, you're right. You're not giving up on them, but when somebody repeatedly makes bad choices for themselves, in a conscious way, even when told or even when shown that there are better choices to be made. 
you can't do anything for them. My mom always used to say to me when I was younger, you can bring a horse to the water, but you can't force it to drink. That's literally, yeah. Um, yeah, that's essentially what I'm saying. But yeah, so don't give up on people. Don't stop loving people. Not, not saying that at all. But yeah, like just know that if you try to force somebody to change, even if it's for their own good, then it will it will result in something more than likely unhealthy and or toxic for both of you. And that's not an ideal situation. Interesting. What's the craziest story you've heard from a client? I don't think all the ones that come to mind, I definitely cannot disclose. Um, okay. That's fact. To, to, be, to be fair, like the crazy is not normal for me to come up against in one regard. Like people don't come to me because of crazy things that are happening. Um, yeah. They come to me because like they want to, something may have happened or they may have had some sort of realization um, and they want to create a better life for themselves in one way or another. So yeah, I deal with, Less crazy and more like motivated, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Not, not a fair burst. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was just wondering if anyone told you something wild that, that we could. Uh... Uh, I definitely have heard some wild things, but like I said, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> private. That's between you and them, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. Claude, it's been it's been a pleasure speaking to you. It's been great. Now I've enjoyed uh, being part of this podcast, and I hope yeah, something that I shared has been useful to somebody out there. And yeah, good luck with uh, keeping growing this and having a bigger impact. No, thanks, sure, man. Yeah. Great to meet you. And I'm sure it will do. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, we need to catch up in person at some point as well. Go grab a yeah. few drinks. 100%. I'm not sure when, though, Claude. You're a busy guy these days. <laughs> <laughs> I got to book you on, on a calendar app. It's like, what happened to the conventional phone call? <laughs> Hey, listen, I'll have my people call your people, then it? <laughs> but listen, man, it was a pleasure speaking to you. I wish you all the best with everything that's going on, the board roles, Dream Nation. It'd be great, great to speak to you again. Definitely, without a doubt, yeah. Just let me know we can take it from there, lads. Brilliant. Love it, Claude. Take care of yourself.